Welcome to episode six of Think at Heart. We're super excited today. We brought in an expert. We figured people were probably tired to listen to Ben and I talk about the market. Um, we actually premiered Think at Heart with an interview with uh, the one, the only Tom Deans talking about uh, estate planning and wills uh, with promoting his book, The Willing Wisdom. Um, and which was amazing, you know, and that really focused on the communication within the family. But one thing we definitely wanted to get to was, you know, the practical, uh, implications of those types of things. Okay. That's great. You know, I'm going to sit down and have that family plan, but now what do I do? What do I have to focus on? How do I actually build this will? Who do I contact in order to do those things? So we searched far and wide. We asked around, we searched our network. And people just keep telling us about this one person, right? Man, you got to talk to Jessica. You have to talk to Jessica. So we pulled some strings and we got from JH Legal Services, Jessica Hool, uh, who, who focuses on employment and estate planning. She has a boutique farm. Yep, she has a boutique farm here. So uh, without further ado, I will... Uh, turn it over to Jessica. Welcome. Thank you. And maybe you can tell us, start by number one, I always forget this. So let's just start telling us what your website is, uh, your email, social media, however people can talk to, can contact you if they need to. Of course. Um, so thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, and as Scott said, I am uh, an estate planning lawyer and uh, an employment lawyer. And the best way to reach me is through email uh, and uh, through my website. So my website is jh um, or jhoollaw at jhoollaw.com. And uh, there's a way to contact me there through the contact page. And my email address is jhool at jhoollaw.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter and you can also find me on Instagram. Amazing. And we'll link all those things in all the descriptions as well in the podcast and on YouTube. All right. Well, I know Ben sent you a list of uh, 1,274 questions. So um, we better, we better kick. Yeah. One at a time. Okay. One A Ben. All right, Ben, why don't you yeah, start by exactly. telling us a little bit about your your thoughts here on what the setup here should be. And um, as far as, you know, what do you see as far from our client standpoint, you know, what do you yeah. think they're missing as far as their estate planning and, and wills and whatnot? Yeah. So uh, we get tons of questions all the time. Certainly after we had Tom Dean's on, we got lots of questions about where do I start? What do I do? Um, so I want to maybe paint a little picture Maybe give me, I'd like maybe a little bit of background on who you are as well, why you got into law, maybe tell me a little bit about yourself first, and then we can jump into really talk about a lot of the questions that, that clients have and hopefully maybe kick off a few of those things and really provide some, some good guidance and uh, really kind of set the, set the stage for, for what, uh, what, what, what we're going to go through. And, you know, clients get lots of questions about, you know, cottage transitions and what's a will look like and how do I set up a trust? And, you know, there's, it's a really an overwhelming thing. So hopefully we can get through as much of that today as we can. So, 
So maybe you can uh, you can start me off with who are you? Where'd you come from? Why, why'd you get interested in the business? <laughs> Straight out of North Bay. Yes, sir. You got that right. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Northern Growl. I am originally from North Bay, uh, where I grew up there with my parents and both my brothers. And um, grew up there. My parents moved us to Orleans uh, when I was just finishing my last year of high school. And uh, after that, I took a year off to uh, travel the States. I um, was a figure skater with Disney on Ice for, um, for that year. And then uh, when I got back, I went to um, University of Ottawa. I was uh, doing, um, I was studying as in psychology and philosophy and then I, got really interested into law, decided to apply and got in. And so uh, I, I started with civil law, um, which is a legal system that uh, applies to Quebec in Canada. And then I uh, transitioned into the uh, common law uh, section at the University of Ottawa. And then um, common law is the law that applies to the rest of the province and uh, provinces in Canada. So I do have dual degrees um, and I am practicing in Ontario. I do not uh, practice in Quebec, um, but, uh, but yeah, here I am uh, 10 years in and um, I practice at the same law firm for 10 years uh, doing mostly uh, wills and powers of attorney, estate planning, and then uh, branched into employment law. And uh, these two really, really interesting uh, areas of law that have no connection whatsoever. <laughs> A very strange mix um, of uh, law practice, but um, the, the, they both have a, a really, you know, um, simple common denominator, which is organization um, at its core. And uh, organization is my passion. So I spend my days uh, talking to people and organizing their lives and their, um, their businesses. And yeah. it's, it's what I love to do. Awesome. It's amazing. Awesome. Before we get going, I'd just like to point out that you and Ben have a very similar background because he also worked for Disney. <laughs> he, he also you worked for Disney. Disney. Did, did you yeah. see? Yeah, actually, I'm from Sudbury, and I worked at Disney in Orlando. That's where I met my wife. And uh -huh. Disney, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah. So very similar career paths you guys have. They're pretty much <laughs> identical. It must be those, you know, yeah. Northern Ontario. And yeah. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Northern except side. That, <laughs> except I'd say my, my organization skills, I'm sure, aren't the same. I, can, I agree. I can back that up. I can back that up. Exactly. Well, that's awesome. Um, good for you. So that's great. So we'll, we'll definitely talk a lot, mostly about estate planning today. Certainly, uh, you know, employment law, I think is, you've probably been busy this year. I mean, there's lots, lots going on. Yeah. Very busy. Yeah. Areas this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I've had lots of clients ask about that too, is, you know, they start to get concerned about, uh, about what's going to happen and making sure their wills and things are updated. But, you know, I, I thought, uh, you know, I have really kind of 
And I think we talked a little bit about you got multi generations. You know, my, my kind of deepest relationships would be four generations, mm -hmm. and so you know, we get you got kind of levels of conversations with twenty year olds, with you know, forty five year olds, with sixty five year olds, with eighty five year olds, and each of those levels I think are probably different. So you know, I guess uh, as I, as I look at it, I think about them them separately. And, you know, would you deal with all through that spectrum as well? Or where, where would kind of be the most of the, the contacts you'd have? Yeah, so it, all over the place. Uh, my clientele ranges from, you know, young, young people, not married, no family to, you know, um, the, the elderly who have a lot of, uh, you know, family history and, and background and, and, and a lot more things to, to consider. Um, but it's a really interesting point that you bring up because it's this huge misconception. People think that, you know, you have to be old to, to do a will, um, or to look into it uh, or to wait. You know, people say, well, I'm way too young to think about that. Or, you know, I'm just, I don't have a lot of assets or, you know, I don't, um, just, just a lot of things that people think, and it's a huge misconception because in my opinion, everybody, um, of age should, should have a will and for different reasons. Um, so, so I, I'll start with, you know, the younger, um, what would I, what, what are the reasons that I would, I would give, a, a, a young couple, for example, or a new family, um, the reasons why, um, yeah important to have a will or to start thinking about that um, planning process. So um, the first thing that is important to consider is your children. So what's going to happen to your kids if something happens to you? Who's going to take care of them? Who's going to take care of their assets? Where's the money going to go? Who's going to manage it? Is it going to, to be in a bank account? Is it going to be in a trust account? Um, which family member is going to have access to those funds? Um, where are my kids gonna live? Like all these things. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how much money you have. At the end of the day, if you have children, you need a will. Um, yeah. If it's the whole purpose of determining who is going to be the guardian of your kids and yeah. their assets. The other thing that um, a lot of people don't know is if you don't have a will, so people might might say sometimes, well, it's just it's it's a no-brainer. I only have one brother or you know one sister, and um, if something happens to me, everybody knows that they're going to take my my kids. You know, it's we've talked about it, they've agreed to it, and yes. you know, um, but if there's no will in place. Um, to say, you know, who's the guardian going to be or who's going to take care of their assets, the money that um, would go to them is going to be paid into court um, until the child attains the age of 18. And when they turn 18, they get the bulk of that money. So no matter what the amount is. So some people might say, I don't know about you, but like, I mean, I, I find that 18 is quite mm -hmm. young to oh, you yeah, know, sure. large sums of money. Yeah. Um, 
you know, a lot of, of, of people are, are either still in school or trying to figure out what they want to do with their life or, or, or what they want to study, where. Um, and if they come into a large uh, sum of money, that might have an impact on their decision um, for the future. So that is, that is a really important uh, point. Uh, young families need to consider not just the guardianship, you know, naming, but um, uh, the trust component, uh, you know, of yeah. making sure that the money is going to be managed by someone that you trust and that um, the family has access to it to take care of your children. Sure. So give me, so give me a scenario, I guess you have uh... Uh, you know, maybe I think about it in a couple parts. So maybe I'll start with the first one and then I'll get to the second one. My first question would be is you got a, you know, 30 year old couple that have a couple of kids and they want to, they want to put a will in place. They haven't done it. You know, maybe tell me what that process is like with, with you and with most lawyers and what, so what would they do? Where would yeah. they start with that? Of course. So um, every lawyer is different. Uh, every lawyer has their, you know, typical process on how they uh, like to to uh, to do this. Um, and definitely, the last year has been different for everybody because we've had to do a lot of this um, virtually. Uh, but typically, COVID aside. Um, I would the first step clients would communicate with me through website, telephone, you know, email, uh, first contact, we would book a meeting, uh, we would meet in person, we would talk about their situation, their background, their finances, um, just to get a global picture of the, the you know, and, and the family portrait, the fam family dynamics. And then um, I would work on their documents, send it to them by email, they would review it, and then once everything has been approved, we then book another meeting for signatures. Um, so final review and, and signatures at that point. So what's so, the, sorry, keep going. Go ahead. Yeah, so what's the, what's the toughest part typically about that for somebody like that? What's the, what's the thing where they sit on this and they spend like days and weeks and uh, a long time thinking about what's the toughest part? So I think the toughest part is actually getting started. Um, so I, I do this two ways and it really depends on the type, like it really depends on the client. I will explain to the client that we can do it in a couple of ways and then they, they choose whatever they, they feel most comfortable with. But yeah. so we can, we can do like an initial uh, video conference or teleconference and um, and then the client, I send a questionnaire via email to the client, which they would fill out, you know, whenever they have time and then get back to me. That is where people procrastinate. Yeah, they can, exactly. they, yeah, they get the questionnaire and then they, they'll sit on it and then they'll, they'll start to think about all these things. And then they just say, okay, I'll do this tomorrow. I'll do it over the weekend. I'll do it next week. And then things just don't get done. Things just don't progress. So the way that I prefer to do it is um, I prefer to meet in person, uh, get all the information that I need, be able to have those discussions, those you know sometimes hard or difficult discussions in person, um, comment, provide advice, all in the same you know all at the same time, and sometimes um, I act as 
you know, the mediator between uh, between spouses who haven't really taken the time to discuss a certain, maybe, um, you know, a difficult point. Uh, yeah. Or, or, you know, who's going to take care of the children or who's going to benefit if, if they all pass away at the same time or things like that. So I am a strong believer in um, open communication. Yep. So I, I prefer to work that way, but I will definitely adapt uh, my ways uh, to the client's preferences for sure. So, um, so I've, I've found that that guardian, guardianship one, they oftentimes the couples don't seem to, they just think, well, my parents will take them or my parents will take them. Mm -hmm. So what would happen though, if something happened, what's the default? Cause you mentioned before, you know, if, if you don't have a will in place, then everything goes to the court. So what happens if something happens to young, young parents? Yeah. So even if you do, okay, so if you do have a will, and even if you do name a guardian for your children in your will, you don't, there's, you don't create a legal guardianship relationship just because you named that person in the will. It just, it's like a, it's like a declaration of your wishes and intentions. Like I, if something happens to me, this is who I want to take care of my children. Okay. Um, and that person actually needs to make an application to the court within 90 days um, to apply for legal guardianship of your kids. So what the will does is it tells everybody, right. this is the person that we've chosen to take care of our kids because we trust them. And for whatever reason, it's no one else's business but yours. Um, this is who we choose. If you don't have a will, then the, the, the family, the friends, they're going to choose for you. And the person who's going to end up making that, you know, application for guardianship for your kids might not be the person that you would have chosen. Sure. So at the end of the day, that might mean you have a sibling who lives in Vancouver, who decides, you know, that they're the best person to take care of your children, which means that your, you know, your children may have to, to move. Um, there's or, or change schools or change, you know, you're taking them away from their circle of friends, their circle of, you know, things that they're that they're comfortable and used to. Um, so while kids are already grieving, you want to make sure that you create a stable environment for them as much as possible. Um, by by making sure that you put things in place to um, to comfort them. Um, if something happens uh, to you, you don't want things to be all over the place. You don't want people arguing about who gets the kids, who gets their things, who takes care of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And court applications, uh, let's be honest, um, they, they're, they can be expensive. And, and there's, there could be some delays, there can be some additional costs. Um, so it's just, it's always best to put that in writing. So if you don't... Uh yeah for sure and if you don't just so i understand like if you're uh, uh um, there's no will the court picks a guardian does the court also assign if there's a residual estate to the guardian or the court decides that independently you know what i mean um so you mean like with regards to the assets yeah so so yes so if you don't have a will and so guardianship aside and, and aside, just yeah want to point out that the court will always always make a decision that's in the best interest of the child sure okay so um so 
guardianship aside, what happens if you don't have a will in general? So in Ontario, if you don't have a will and you pass away, if you are married, and I say married because common law spouses are not considered uh, spouses in the um, in the estate world. Uh, so if you're married, no children, your, your spouse gets the bulk of your estate, okay? Yep. If you're married with children, in Ontario, there's a preferential share of um, 200,000. So your spouse gets the first 200,000. And then the rest of the estate would be distributed between the spouse and the children. Gotcha. If you pass away, no spouse, no children, then it goes back up to the parents. And then hmm. there's no parents, then it goes uh, down the bloodline. So aunts and uncles, cousins, grandparents. Yeah, so it, it really, the, the law basically chooses who will inherit um, as opposed to you having that, um, you know, freedom to choose. Sure, sure. And uh, is Quebec the same from the, you mentioned the part of uh, um, a common law spouse isn't deemed a spouse for estate purposes in Ontario? Is it the same in Quebec or do you know? Um, I'm not going to comment on the laws in Quebec. <laughs> um, right. there, yeah, there are quite a bit of differences and I don't want to put gotcha. my, my mouth. I also don't want to express any personal opinions. So, um, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 No, no problem. That's a question for another day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, because um, I've had that question specifically, so we'll leave that for another time. Um, yeah. But yeah, so yeah, I know it's a, it is. I, I'm sure that uh, the the younger people are the probably the hardest to get to that point because I think once the will's in place, then people I guess want to look at it again at some point and they understand they got to change it. But you know, I also start to have the conversation with now that you know the kids are in their 20s. Uh, we are, you know, in our, we'll call it 50s, 60s. We haven't changed our will since the kids were born. You know, what would they do now? Would they, you know, often they ask, they say, do I go back to my lawyer? Do I, where do I go? What, what's like, what would be a suggestion for, for that group? Um, I think it, it, again, it depends on the, the client's level of, of comfort. Uh, if there is an established relationship with their existing lawyer, I would definitely suggest that they reach out to, to their existing lawyer to see, um, to talk about, you know, the steps of, um, of updating their will, um, which is super important. Uh, most, most people, you know, it's hard to get them to actually do a will and then they do one and then they think, okay, I've done it. That's it. I'm putting it away and I don't have to, you know, I don't have to touch it again. Um, yeah. But, you know, life changes, people yeah. change, um, circumstances change. Uh, so you need to keep it, you need to keep it updated. Um, absolutely. And it's not necessary for the, for the client to communicate with their existing lawyer. They can reach out to any lawyer um, because a new will would automatically revoke 
um, the previous will. Um, it's one of the first things that we mention in a new will. So um, especially if the will is like dated 10 years plus or, or, or whatever, it's a whole new will at that point. So gotcha. we, yeah. So how often do you think people should revisit their wills? That's a good question, Scott. And I get that question from every single client. Um, so I tell my clients, don't base yourself on what you hear online or, you know, from other people saying, okay, every five years or every 10 years, it really depends on your circumstances. So I tell my clients, pick a date. Usually I tell them to pick the date that we sign their wills. And I'll say every year on that day, sit down, reread your will. If you haven't done it, you know, through the year and ask yourself the question, if I die tomorrow. Is this still what I want? Is this, does this still reflect my wishes and my intentions? If the answer is yes, then put your will away until next year or until your circumstances change within that year. Um, and if the answer is no, then that's when you contact your lawyer and you say, you know, here's what's going on in my life or here's what's going on in my mind. Um, does it you know, is it worth making a change to my will? And then we would have that chat and we would determine um, if we make a change. That's great. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. And I mean, I, I think that the majority of people, I mean, your client base might be unique um, because you, because you've kind of uh, taught them to, to think that way. Um, but the majority of clients I talk to, like they rarely look at their will until we're near the end. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I, I definitely make it a point to review yeah. it at least once a year. And yeah. also every time something changes in your life, a major change, yeah. you have you have another child, you lose a child, you lose a parent, you lose um, someone who's named as executor or beneficiary in, in your um, in your will. You got married, mm -hmm. you got separated, you got divorced. Um, any of those, you know, major events in your life yeah. Um, yeah. might not necessarily mean that you need to change your will, but it's definitely worth a chat with your lawyer uh, to determine if uh, a change is necessary in your circumstances. I actually, I give my clients a um, Christmas ornament that says, so that they think of me every Christmas and I will, yeah. and it says on it, um, have you reviewed your will this year? So it's <laughs> kind of like a little reminder to, uh, yeah, to reread it and just make sure that it's still, uh, it's still what you want. So do you think, do you think, yeah. um, I think people read their wills too and they're like, oh, I don't want to go through the, you know, I should make this change, but I don't have to call the lawyer and then you know, I have to deal with them and I got to go in there, sit there and they're going to tell me all this stuff, you know, can, and they just want to make the change themselves on the will. Yeah. Is that, what effect does that have on the will if they try to make changes itself, themselves? Um, it could have a devastating effect um, if it's not done properly. Um, any client of mine that you speak to will tell you that I've probably told them several times that I do not like handwritten notes on the wills or notes in the margins or 
um, an additional paper that says, oh, I just want to change this, or I just want to add this, or um, I don't like codicils. I don't, um, I like clean documents. No paper trail of um, I've changed my mind and it wasn't done, you know, through a proper process. And so everyone can change their mind and holograph wills, which are wills that, you know, people can do um, yeah. on their own uh, without uh, having, going through a lawyer. It, it, it's legal. It can be valid if it's done properly. Um, I don't like them. And my fear is with these handwritten notes is that what, if you, if it's not done properly, the effect that it can have is to completely revoke the first, you know, the initial will, or let's call it the first good will, um, that the person has made. Um, because you do have to confirm that the rest of the terms of the will um, are still valid and that they don't change and that you're not revoking the will. You're just, you know, adding, you're just adding to it. Um, so it's very tricky and you just have to make sure that you, uh, you do it uh, properly. And for me, these handwritten notes is what creates um, confusion in the family tension in the family um if especially if that note is not um it's not legally done right but you know they'll say the family will say yeah but it was still mom's intentions you know to do it this way or it was still dad's intention to give me this um that's when things get really messy so my advice to uh, people who just want to change a little thing um you know, is to still go through proper channels, communi communicate with a lawyer, um, shop around, you know, you don't need to, you don't need to, to, to be afraid of, of talking to, to different lawyers to see what their pricing is, what their process is. Um, yeah, so. So, um, so in Tom Dean's, so when he talks about the family meeting, is that something that, uh, that that you speak with clients about as well? And and do you do you have a family meeting where you discuss these things as well? So with clients, I don't uh, typically do uh, family meetings. I've done I've done a few at the request of of some clients, and you know you kind of just act as um, a facilitator uh to open the communication and uh and, and kind of give everybody an opportunity to um to express themselves yeah. um but i like i mentioned earlier i am a huge believer in open communication yeah. and uh, and so family meetings and uh family discussions um although you know very uncomfortable sometimes um in this area is 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 necessary and and to to make sure that you know your wishes and intentions are, are clearly communicated um yeah. is important yeah for sure mm -hmm. well the majority of conversations that i have with clients would be the older ones <laughs> and that's where they start to think about their the fact that they're actually going to die mm -hmm. um and so 
you know, uh, the, those tend to be the more complicated conversations too, where you know clients are in their 80s, they got different, you know, kids that are grown up now, and they have grandkids, and uh, you know, uh, a lot of them too are kind of stuck to their old wills, right? Yeah. They they don't want to start again, so mm-hmm. you know those. Those are those are a challenging time. Also, you know, we've talked kind of mostly about wills, so maybe you can talk a little bit about, you know, how important the power of attorneys are for finance and for continuing care. Like maybe what that means, what that gives people the ability to have control of, and maybe give me a little bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. So powers of attorney are just as important, if not more, than the than the will. Um, so to give a quick um, explanation. So a power of attorney is a document that allows someone else to make decisions on your behalf in case you become incapable of making those decisions on your own. So in Ontario, there are two main um, powers of attorney. There's a power of attorney for your health and there's a power of attorney for your property. So the power of attorney for healthcare, you would name somebody that you trust to make decisions on your behalf uh, with regards to your care. So whether that means um, who's going to decide uh, what medications uh, you take, what what procedures you're willing to to accept, um, where you're um, whether or not, you know, we pull the plug if, if worse comes to worse. Um, that uh, document is so important in order to facilitate um, the, the process for everyone, the family, the, the medical team, the everybody. And the power of attorney for property is the, the document that allows someone else to manage your property on your behalf if you become incapable of doing it yourself, managing your accounts, managing your investments, managing your property, um, paying your bills, you know, making sure everything is paid on time. Uh, so these documents are extremely important because if you don't have them in place, the, um, the province doesn't assume who you would have named. Like people, a lot of couples will say to me, well, I don't need powers of attorney, we're married. So, you know, if something happens to me, like my husband is just going to make all those decisions or my partner is just going to make all those decisions on my behalf. Um, It doesn't necessarily work like that. Um, So even though you are married to someone, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're the person you would have chosen to make those decisions on your behalf. Um, So if you don't have a power of attorney, then we have to apply um, to the court to have somebody named as your guardian or the guardian of your property. And it's, it's a process and it's, it can be expensive. Um, and, and it's also a very stressful um, or can be very stressful if, if decisions need to be made on, you know, on an emergency basis or things just need to get done. Yeah, that's the one I would see most of is the power of attorneys and then with the older clients to get, uh, you know, oftentimes they're chicken scratch, like old things that are that they had 40 years ago. Um, so uh, they're, they're definitely important and the firms are getting more and more um, 
specific about what the, the, the forms say. So that's definitely very important. Yeah, absolutely. And and some people will also think that because they signed a direction at the at their bank, um, like allowing somebody to, you know, handle that account for them if something happens to them, that's not a general power of attorney. It's, you know, it's a limited power of attorney with regards to that specific account at that specific bank. So it doesn't allow that person to manage everything in general. Um, so it's important for people to understand that. And, um, and, and just to, to, know, um, to know that powers of attorney just, just facilitate so much, yeah, of, of the processes for, for everyone again. Well, and these, I mean, this clientele maybe just extend a bit because they would have, uh, you know, again, lots of, of the older clients that have, you know, maybe a house in Florida, they may have a property in Quebec, they might may own a corporation as well. You know, right. for somebody, somebody like that, do they have one will? Do they have multiple wills? Like right. what's, uh, what's typical? Okay, so I, I believe in a collaborative approach um, to estate planning. I think that the biggest mistake that professionals um, can make is not knowing what their limits are, um, not knowing um, or not wanting to seek advice from the experts uh, because we're not experts in everything. Uh, you know, we might be very uh, specialized in our respective fields, but it's important to recognize when, you know, you need, you need to get that advice from, from someone else, whether it's an accountant, a financial planner, um, a foreign advisor, um, anything. Um, so for me, and this happens often because we are, we have clients here in Ontario, we have a lot of people who have properties just on the other side of their river. Um, so, and it is two separate legal systems. So in Ontario, we have the common law. And then in Quebec, we have civil law. So it's important for clients who have property in Quebec, to have a will in Quebec, and to have a will in Ontario. Okay. I, I will I will comment on, on, on this specifically, the only because there are so many clients that are in that situation. Um, right. and, and a lot of times people will say, well, that's really annoying. Like I need to do a will in Ontario and now I need to talk to a will in Quebec and start the whole story again and pay you know, the same fees or, or whatever close to um, just to have a will to deal with my cottage that's in Quebec. But it will reduce not just fees, but time and stress and process um, if something happens to you. Um, so I always advise clients, let's do your will here in Ontario. I will refer you to someone who specializes in wills in Quebec, a notary that um, you know I feel comfortable referring or if they already deal with somebody, then that's perfect. We'll reach out to them. They will do what we call a, a Quebec will. And then we will make sure in the wills that we don't revoke um, our, the, the respective wills. So okay. that's why it's important to have these conversations with your advisors because 
you do a will in Ontario, you'll say, okay, I'll just go do a will by myself in Quebec, you know, without speaking to a notary or, or whatever. And then you inadvertently revoke the will that we did in Ontario. And then the whole process just becomes, you know, pointless. Um, so it's, it's, it's really important to, um, to not only mention that you have property outside of Ontario, but to make sure that you talk to the correct people. And if I have clients who have assets in the States, Florida, wherever, um, my advice is always to have a will where you have property. It facilitates very, very, yeah, much the um, executor's um, uh, responsibilities upon death. Um, it means there's a will in, um, let's say you have property in Florida, there's a will in, fr in Florida that will allow us to deal with the property there. There's a will here that will allow us to start dealing with the, the assets here right away. And in Quebec, same thing. Um, so there's no, there's no delay. We're not waiting on any documents from any other province or state or country in order to start dealing with the assets here. So do you always reference then, I guess, the, this would be kind of the core, core will, and then you'd make reference to the other wills? Is that what you're saying? So let's, it, de it depends on which will depends. is done first. So if I'm the first will to be done, then the other wills, I will suggest, you know, reference to this one and, and say, um, I revoke all previous will except for the, you know, except for my Ontario will or except for, you know, yeah. my, my Florida will or, or whatever. Yeah. 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 It's important to have that mentioned though. And, and just in addition to that, just to complete the loop on it, corporations, if you own a corporation, do you have a separate will or do you include it in the core will? Yeah. So, so if there's the answer is a, is a typical lawyer answer is it depends. Um, so it really depends on the circumstances of the client um, and the client's um, preference or decision. But, but there is a possibility in um, Ontario to have two wills. So a primary will um, that will deal with um, your general estate and then uh, a secondary will, which will deal with some limited property such as corporate assets, or if somebody has a um, significant amount of personal property, uh, we can include in a separate will as well. The idea behind having two wills is to limit the amount of probate fees um, payable upon death. So we would put in a secondary will assets that don't necessarily require probate in order to transfer. And then in the primary will, we would put um, you know, the general estate and, and general things that may require probate. So what wouldn't require probate for just like, uh, obviously the corporate assets don't require probate, probate. What, uh, what are some of the, the they do, if they're not in a second, they, they do, you if know, they're not in the secondary world. Yeah. Um, yeah. so things that would require probate would be assets that you own in your name only. For, um, for example, if you own a, a house that's in your name only and you pass away, the land uh, registry is not going to let 
us deal with that property unless we obtain the certificate of probate. So we need to have that property evaluated and then we need to calculate the probate fees. Yep. Yeah, and pay them to the, to the Ministry of Finance and, and so on and so forth. Other um, assets would be, for example, if you have life insurance or any other you know, registered RSPs, TFSA, that you haven't named a specific beneficiary. Um, for example, if you've named the estate as the beneficiary or if you haven't named a beneficiary, then that asset would fall and form part of the estate and we would need to um, calculate and uh, pay probate taxes on that amount. And uh, that's, that's great. Um, so, and then everything else that'd be, so that secondary will is, sounds pretty key if you have a corporation. If you have a corporation, absolutely. And like I mentioned earlier, it's, I, 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 I we're, we talk a lot about these secondary wills being for corporations and they, and they are, um, but if you have a significant uh, amount or valuable personal property, art collections, jewelry, um, collectibles, whatever it is, um, it's, it becomes very interesting also to, to, to have those assets into um, having them mentioned into secondary will to, to protect them from probate as well. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, other thing I wanted to, uh, to have you just comment on a bit, I know a couple of years ago, uh, rules got changed for executors liability. And so, you know, executors now are legally liable for their mistakes. Um, so maybe give me some context and some thinking around that. What's that done? Uh, you know, I, I know uh, executors can get uh, executor insurance now, so that kind of business has changed. But, you know, how, how much has that changed that dynamic about who the executor should be? Yeah. So it's a very interesting um, comment because choosing your executor is such an important piece of estate planning. Uh, you really need to think about uh, who is the right person to handle uh, these affairs um, once you pass away. Um, being an executor nowadays is not a simple task. Uh, there's a lot of responsibilities. There's a lot of things to, um, to, to accomplish. And um, executors, uh, can be personally liable for their uh, mistakes or their um, or their decisions uh, if it if it's proven that it was you know either done um, uh, in negligence or in bad faith or you know fraudulently or anything like that. Um, so so yeah, it, it's important to name somebody that has that has good or that 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 is good with managing their affairs, good with managing their money. Um, and that's going to be able to take on this role on behalf of the um, on behalf of the family. You mentioned executors insurance. That is something that I also mentioned to um, to my clients. Um, there is a specific clause that we can incorporate in wills that allows executors to obtain insurance at the expense of the estate. Um, some clients like that. Some clients don't. Um, it all uh, it all depends. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a question I'm asked all the time, whether or not uh, an estate executor is responsible for the, um, for the testator's uh, debts. Um, 
and so and and if they if and if they're responsible for any any other decisions that they um that they make throughout the process sure um so maybe just clarify what executor does an executor get paid how do they get paid what do how do people decide that does the executor decide that who makes the choice maybe mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that mm -hmm. so in the will we can uh, we can definitely um clarify and say that the executor gets paid a certain amount or a certain percentage or um you know or they get it yeah a percentage of the estate for example um but if the will is silent um mm -hmm. then the law provides that the estate executors can be compensated for um for their role as, as a state executor um and then in the will, what I usually do is I just um, I say that the uh, the executor is entitled to like to reimbursement of all their expenses first of all, sure. and then um, they can be uh, compensated in accordance with rules and regulations at the time, mm -hmm. and um, so normal there's there's like a general under it's not written in the law but there's a general understanding that um, executors will receive. Um, between 2.5 and 5% of the value of the um, assets that they deal with. Mm -hmm. uh, so they do uh, require the um, approval from the uh, beneficiaries. And if the beneficiaries don't agree, then the estate executor would um, make an application to the court to have the court uh, weigh in on uh, the amount of compensation. Sure. Can you hire like a professional executor or like it would be somebody like you because I, I think most people just pick, oh, I'm going to pick my oldest kid to right. be the executive of my will. Right? Yeah. And they either don't want it or don't have the skill set to do that. Right? right. What are some of the options for people to do that? Yeah. So third party executors. And when I say third party, I mean like somebody who's not necessarily part of the immediate family. Um is important to consider when uh, it's not just about how much money you have. Again, it's it's about family dynamics as well. If you have children who don't speak to each other, or um, are estranged, or 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 whatever, um, it um, it could be, you know, a really tough time uh, for fam grieving families to have to now forcefully deal with each other to. Uh, to to administer this estate um so sometimes um you name a, a close family friend someone who you know can be objective uh in the situation and uh, someone a family friend obviously that you would trust and who is able and capable of managing affairs uh you could name it could be a it could be a, an advisor if that advisor is willing uh, uh, to act as a state executor. So I think uh, Ben, we had quickly mentioned um, on another uh, during another conversation. So would do lawyers act as estate executors? Um, so lawyers can act as estate executors. It all depends on the lawyer's um, willingness or comfort level to to do so. Um, we do it as professionals. We don't do it as um, as actual trustees. So it, it's the lawyer needs to decide whether or not they want to take on that role, uh, personally, professionally. Um, so have I done it before? 
I've accepted on behalf of clients, you know, to act as their, um, their estate uh, executor uh, in very limited cases. Um, it's not something, yeah, it's not something that I do all the time. Um, there are lawyers who uh, offer their services as estate executors. There are uh, trust companies that offer their services as estate executors. Um, all major banks uh, normally do uh, offer these uh, trust um, uh, executor services. Uh, so you would name them, these trust companies in your will as your executor and upon death, you have this professional team. Um, yes, there are fees involved, but this is what they do. Um, and and this, they know how to manage, they know how to handle uh, families and the process. They you know, they've, they've done it uh, hundreds of times. So, so normally it just can uh, facilitate the process and just get things moving quicker. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's great. Yeah, so maybe just a quick uh, um, uh, definition between an executor and a trustee. You know, sometimes people use that interchangeably and I know they're not always the same thing. Maybe right. just, just uh, sometimes they are, but sometimes they're not. Yeah, so normally in a will, we'll refer to um, my executor and trustee. So we'll name somebody as the executor uh, and as the trustee at the same time. Um, so the executor, the executor is the person who is going to administer the estate, handle the estate, manage the affairs of the estate. Um, and then a trustee is someone who is named to manage property for the benefit of somebody else. So you might name somebody as an estate executor um, to handle the estate, but you would name somebody, uh, a different person to act as a trustee for the trust of your kids. You know, it doesn't necessarily need to be one in the same, but I have like 98% of the time, uh, people will name the same person as executor and trustee. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Um, just in regards to, I guess, the, the trusts within a will. So is this a separate document or is the will just name a trust or do you have like, how does this, how does this play out? Like you set up a trust for your kids, hypothetically. Um, yeah. Is it part of the will or is it something else? That's a loaded question. Um, and I will answer it, you know, as simply as I can, because there are the, there can be some standalone trusts. Um, and then there could, then there are some testamentary trusts. So a testamentary trust is a trust that is formed in the will, and that only, um, takes life upon the death of the testator. Um, so this trust is created, um, through the will, once the person dies, yeah, then, uh, then the trust is, is created. And then there are some standalone trusts that you can create during your lifetime um, that are separate from the will. Um, you can do uh, spousal trusts, you can do alter ego trusts, you can do Henson trust, um, all these different types of trusts, which we're not gonna dive that's into a, because that's yeah, conversation <laughs> for another day. Yeah. Um, but yes, there's, you know, there's definitely um, different ways of, of creating trusts. And it, again, all depends on the client's uh, circumstance. Yeah. 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 For, for example, if you name a test, a simple testamentary trust, 
in the will, you would name who the trustees are as well. Like that would be uh, yeah. part of the package, yeah. Typical um, example, uh, you have uh, parents with young children who would like to create a trust so that the kids don't necessarily inherit um, you know, the bulk of the estate at the age of 18. Uh, so we would, this happens all in, in most, uh, you know, uh, parents' wills, uh, we'll create a trust in the, within the will um, that dictates um, when the kids would get, uh, you know, a certain percentage uh, of the money at certain ages, you know, whether it's 25% at 18, 25% at 21, and the balance at 25, or, or you know, 25% at 25, and the balance at 30. We can be very creative, um, but that's an example of a, of a trust that we would create through the will. Yeah, yeah, awesome. What do you think of uh, informal trusts that are set up at institutions, financial institutions? There's lots of informal trusts. Those are, what do you think of those? and you know, I, you know, ultimately those should go to the kids, I guess, at 18 anyways. So you know, sometimes I have clients that want to set up an informal trust just so they can kind of in their mind have some money set aside to them. And yeah. so, yeah. So is, you know, what do you think of that? Um, I, I, I have to say, I don't have much experience with informal trusts. Um, I, yeah, I'd have to get a little bit more information from you with regards to that. Like, yeah, but um, I, I don't have an issue with separate trusts as long as uh, the, the parents keep um, reviewing the terms of that trust and making sure that the terms are um, they don't confuse with whatever the will might say or. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, I, do, I do have another question about trust because um, I do sell life insurance as well. So I am, we are life insurance licensed. Can you name uh, trust as the beneficiary of an insurance? Do you know? Have you seen that? Uh, I mean, I've like, so for example, you'd set up, uh, for example, maybe you have a Henson trust for a client because a client has a disabled child. Um, you know, that occasionally you would name maybe potentially name the trust as the insurance beneficiary have you seen that or anything? yeah so so again every financial institution has its you know internal process and they'll they'll tell the client whether or not they can name uh, a trust or you know what's the best way to make sure that monies flow through a trust in order yeah. for those funds to be protected sure. um, especially if you have a, a, a child with a, a disability or a sibling or a, a spouse or a parent um, that you're gifting to in your in your will um, I think the most important thing is to always make sure in your will if um, is, is to, is one of the first things that I do with clients is I make sure that they've uh, designated beneficiaries on all those registered um, policies. So I wanna see sure. their life insurance, I wanna yeah. see who they've named, I wanna make sure that it reflects their, their wishes and intentions. I wanna mm -hmm. make sure that if it says the estate is the uh, beneficiary, that, that they're okay after I've explained to them what that means. Um, what's going to happen upon death. Um, I want to make sure that they're comfortable with that. Yeah. If you have a life insurance policy and you name 
the, you know, the estate as the beneficiary. You have a disabled child and in your will, we've created a Henson Trust. It's going to be important to identify that life insurance policy and make sure that it doesn't go directly to the child to affect the benefits that they're receiving from the government. And just make sure that that money flows through um, the, uh, the, the proper channel. So say it's set up by, like say inadvertently it gets set up for as the estate, the life insurance, but there is a Henson Trust. Can it go there without being probated? Um, well, no, it would, it would have to be, have yeah. be probated. Yeah. So, and, uh, and the other thing is, is what's dangerous about that scenario is that it might have the effect of, um, uh, sorry, I'm, uh, yeah, potentially kicking out some of the benefits for the, for the child. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like disrupting those benefits and, and then you have to deplete that child's assets until you're able to apply again and sure. just, just, just a mess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I just thought these questions are coming to me as, as you're talking to me, just, you know, as you have all these conversations with clients, over the years, he just kind of, the, these little things start to pop up as we talk about it. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I definitely, I still got, still got a few questions I'll look at, but yeah, I think we've, we've hit a lot. Um, Scott, do you have anything that's, that's popped up as we've gone along through here? I learned more in the first 15 minutes than I knew <laughs> I came here, like, from my entire life. So, yeah, I mean, the biggest thing I've realized is that, um, you know, it's so detailed. There's so much to know. I mean, you even met a few things that you've met, you just skimmed over that we could probably do an entire episode on, right? That'd be yeah. super important. Yeah. Which is a great idea, by the way. I think we should do that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, there's just so much to know and the importance yeah. of, of using the experts, right? Going to the right yeah. people. Because I know from the people that I talk to, you know, the, the very few people that do have wills, some of them just, you know, they get the will kit, you know, they try, they jot something down themselves and we know that's not binding in, in most cases, right? Mm -hmm. But but just knowing all these things is so important that it will just save so much time and anguish too at the time when, you know, people are, are going to be stressed when, when, when that time comes. So yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know that I have any... Uh, additional questions i'm sure i know you do ben but yeah. uh i'm just, i'm just i'm just absorbing that's good that's good <laughs> i know I, I haven't had one episode where i've been this quiet yeah, exactly. you know, it's crazy <laughs> there's lots uh, lots to cover <laughs> yeah you know i think uh i get uh i get i get uh, all the time i get questions about when should i review the will when should i change it when should i update it you know, I, oftentimes too, we get lots of people talking about it, putting a codicil on my will, like is, and they end up having all of these, uh, you know, other pieces to it. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I mean, I assume at some point it makes sense to just blow it up and start again. Yeah. So for me, um, I like clean, clean planning, organized planning, one document if possible to deal with uh with all of the intentions um not you know three four you know codicils on top of a will um it's just it's 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 just nice to have a streamline 
clear document that that deals with uh, uh, with everything. And just to go back, um, Scott, you mentioned something about um, what did you say? You the said, will kit. Yeah, the yeah the will from kit Staples that <laughs> they sell so, right at the cash. So many people think that their situations are simple, and most clients that will call me and say my situation is so simple end up being some of my most complicated you know estate planning files because uh, you you may think that your situation is very simple but when we get talking and um you know when we dig into the the family portrait the family dynamics the finances um the blended families um it's it might be simple for you like you know, your life might be simple for you, but, but legally speaking, there might be a lot of things that you need to consider that you're missing. Um, so that's why I'm a strong believer in a personalized approach. And, and this is why I think clients need to reach out to professionals in order to have these discussions to determine what they need instead of, you know, self-assessing and um, th thinking that will kits are fine. Um, so, so it's not, estate planning is not one size fits all. It really is and needs to be tailored to your specific circumstances. So that's what I have to say about Wilkins. <laughs> <laughs> and so just about, I guess, a little bit about, uh, I know it's different with every person, but sometimes clients get concerned about, you know, I'm going to spend 15 hours with a lawyer. I'm going to pay them 15 hours to do this. Um, you know, what's that process like? And do you, do, would you offer something where I'm doing a will for you and it's going to be approximately this much or is everything, you know, is there, is there a typical timeline? Maybe a few details on that. Yeah, of course. So process and pricing, it's one of the first things that I address with clients. I know that it's, a burning question that they cannot wait to ask me. Yeah. I just, I give them the information right off the bat. Gotcha. If you send me an email telling me that you want a will or you're looking for a bit more information in my response to you, hmm. you will get my process and my pricing. Nice. Um, nice. Because right off the bat, I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste my time. Um, you know, so I just want to make sure that everybody is on the same page and we understand where we're going from here. Yeah. Um, I offer at a base, I offer um, um, like, a, oh my God, why can't I think of that? Um, I offer like, uh, like structured fees. Um, I don't charge by the hour. Uh, to draft wills and uh, powers of attorney. I offer packages for um, singles. I offer packages for couples. I offer, um, you know, different types of, of packages. There's a base package and then there's, there could be some additional fees depending on what you what you require in your planning. Got it. So, but, but I, I like to put that out there uh, right from the get-go so that clients have an idea. And I do believe that um, wills, powers of attorney, estate planning in general, you need to, you need to have a connection with your professional advisors. Yep. Uh, so I will always tell clients, when clients ask me, well, 
is this the best price, you know, and, and I offer competitive pricing. Yeah. I'm not the most expensive. I'm not necessarily the cheapest, um, but I will always um, recommend clients to, to shop around, not just for prices, but to make sure that you connect and, and develop, you know, um, a relationship with the person that you're going to be speaking to about some really personal things. For sure. I mean, I think that's the most important one is that you can connect, you can understand each other. In my business too, that's what I, I say to people all the time too. You know, if we don't like each other, we're not going to work well together. No, <laughs> if, you, if you feel like you can't be open, you can't be yeah. honest, you can't ask the questions that you want to ask or, um, you know, it's just uh, at the end of the day, um, just not going to work out. Yeah. I'm telling you, I would never want to get the cheapest lawyer or accountant never <laughs> you know what they say like you basically you get what you pay for it and a lot of clients will ask me sometimes about these will kits or they'll say well the lawyer at the end of the street is offering me you know two wills for me and my wife for you know three hundred dollars and yeah. you know by all means like go ahead and and i will yeah. not you know i i will not um match necessarily those fees in order to obtain your yeah. your business i i like mentioned like i mentioned i have a very personalized approach uh, to these to these relationships and so yeah. the time is put in the effort is put in i'm i'm really looking to make sure that your intentions and wishes are reflected in these really important documents um yeah. so it's not like I said, a one size fits all. It's not just a, you know, a will that, you know, all my clients get the same type of will. It's, it's, right. you know, so yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Some, some, some lawyers charge less than me. Some, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah for, for sure. But I like that process and pricing. That's uh, I like that. That's, that's good. And clear. I mean, people want to know what, what it's going to be up front and they want to be able to have some comfort that that probably takes a lot of their stress out of it, that it's, this isn't what happens at the end. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. And I think it, it takes away that stress of, of, um, of asking me because sure. yeah. most people don't want to be like, uh, you know, they feel a little bit shy to, to, for it to be the first question, you know, like I, I want to speak but you know am I being charged for this call or am I, right. I going to get a bill for this or yes. Um, yes. so I think it's important to determine that you know um, from the outset what's what's the relationship going to look like and what you should yeah. be expecting as uh, as fees yeah yeah great great listen I probably got a hundred more questions we can go through but uh was there anything you think that uh comes up in meetings that that uh, we haven't really covered today that you think would be interesting or that we should we should add to this? Um, I think that um, I think there's so much more <laughs> that that we could talk about. Um, I, I think that an important um, discussion uh, to to maybe have uh, next time is to talk about different scenarios. Um, you know, uh, so maybe we can talk about different family dynamics and then we can provide, you know, some, some comments and suggestions on, you know, based on that blended families, first, yeah. second marriages, 
um, you know, estranged, estranged children, adopted children, things like that. And then we can just go through different real life uh, scenarios um, that uh, hopefully uh, everyone that's listening will, will relate in, in some way. Yeah, I mean that uh, is uh, that is a good idea, a great idea, and something that uh, I think a lot of people will be looking for. I think there's a good like initial. Let's just put it out there. Information, Scott. What do you think? Do you think we covered enough stuff for for uh, for this? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it'll be great. I think it's a great idea to to have uh, Jessica back kind of re- as a reoccurring guest, kind of like Dr. Oz on Oprah, which <laughs> Ben, that makes you Oprah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, but I think, like you said, I think that's a great overview to start with. I think it gives everybody a, a good sample of things they should be thinking of. Yeah. And I think before we do it next time, we'll we'll reach out, let people know that you're going to be on and we'll get some questions to you from our client base. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, and, and, sure. Uh, see what people want want from there. Maybe we'll do it live too and people could ask questions. That's another idea. If you're up, up for that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You guys want to wrap it up? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think so. That was awesome. Oh, Thanks very yeah. much. Uh, you answered uh, everything. I uh, gave you some tough questions too, and uh, you're very open and honest about it. So I appreciate uh, appreciate your time so far. But um, I'll uh, throw it back to Scott, and uh, it's been nice talking with you. Likewise, for having me. Okay, so just one more time: where can people find you? What's your website, and um, how they can contact you if they want to have that those discussions with you directly? Sure. So uh, through the website is jhoollaw.com. And my email address is jhool at jhoollaw.com. You can find me again on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, uh, or you can call my direct line 613-222-5656. Amazing. And I'll link all that stuff in the description in both the uh, audio podcast and YouTube. Well, uh, thanks very much again. And that's episode six of Think at Heart in the Bank.